Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Wasatch Report. I am your host, Suzanne, and joining me in the studio today is Jeff Johnson, my wonderful friend, co-host, producer, and uh, Justin Spears. We had him on the last time we did an episode, and we were talking about his book, Failure, The History and Results of America's School System. Subsequent to our last, our last podcast, we have come across an article by a Harvard Law professor who absolutely uh, attacks homeschooling. We're going to be addressing that today. Before we get started, though, I want to remind you, you can follow me on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Suzanne Sherman's The Wasatch Report. Also, I have a, a regular page by my own name, Suzanne Sherman, suzannecsherman.com is my website and you can hear us on anchor fm and i believe they are showing us on seven other platforms including spotify and radio public and a few others that i don't have right in front of me uh also before we get started i want to thank shotwell publishing for their support they have a an offer go to their facebook page shotwell publishing and they are offering two free ebooks. So uh, definitely go and check that out and take advantage. That is my favorite publishing company. So that being said, Justin, how are you today? I'm doing well, Suzanne. Thanks for having me back on. Well, I'm delighted. Unfortunately, I wish we didn't have to discuss this article. I was reading it this morning and oh, my blood was boiling. Let's share this a little bit. This is a, we've, we've heard this before. Remember who was it? Uh, Melissa, what was her name again? Um, from MSNBC? Yeah, Melissa here, Perry, here, yes, yes, who was saying that uh, people are under this insane delusion that their children are those and are, are theirs and they belong to the families. Instead, what she's saying is that no children, Melissa Harris Perry is her name, children belong to the, the community. And as soon as you realize that, we can start making better investments in them. So we're going to be talking today about the control that the progressives, both on the left and the right, seem to think that they have over our children, both with regards to raising and educating them. So that being said, uh, let's, Justin, really quick, let our listeners find out where they can follow you and how they can get your book. And then I'm going to jump into that, into that article. Yeah, sure. So uh, people can follow me on social media. Uh, on Facebook, I am uh, at uh, facebook.com slash Justin Spears 4. Uh, I'm pretty active over there on that. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Justin Spears 4 there as well. Uh, I run a website, uh, edfailure.com. That's all one word, edfailure.com, uh, where I host uh, all of my writings and previous show appearances and just some other uh, bits of information about the work that I've been doing. And uh, yeah, that, those are probably the, the best places to be able to follow me at. Very good. And let's see. So let's jump into this. This was actually from Harvard Magazine. And what they ask here, and again, this is from a law professor, and the, what they're calling it is the risks of homeschooling. Erin O'Donnell wrote this. And she's talking about a uh, an increasing number of American families are opting out of sending their children to school. As we know now, we discussed when you were on with me on both our podcasts, uh, Justin, was we have, um, everybody's pretty much a homeschooler right now, whether or not they, you know, they want to be. Well, this gal, Elizabeth Bartholet, is a public interest law professor and faculty director of the law school's child advocacy program. And she sees a risk for children and society, mind you, in homeschooling, and she recommends a presumptive ban on the practice. Now think about the word they're using, a presumptive ban. That in effect puts you as a parent 
on the up against the ropes and puts the burden on you to justify your need and ability to homeschool your children. And she even says that later on the article. She says that homeschooling violates a child's right to a meaningful education and that this right must be protected. Uh, the children must also be protected from child abuse and homeschooling may keep them from contributing positively to a democratic society. Let's unpack that paragraph before we go uh, further down this <laughs> rabbit hole here. Um, what she sees here is that the children are denied their right to an education. Justin, what is, what, what is, this really addresses, you address what she's saying here in your book. Let's talk briefly. We've covered this in the last episode, but how is the public education system giving the children or is it failing to give children a, a decent education? Yeah, and that's one of the things that I have tried to raise awareness of with um, my audience, whether people who follow me through uh, social media, who have uh, read my writings and, and things of that nature, is to differentiate um, schooling from education. What we have in America is a school system. Um, the way that that is defined and the way that it has been transformed uh, since the middle 1800s has been to uh, take the students that come into the building and mold them into uh, the, the types of citizens that the state wants. Uh, many people refer to this as indoctrination camps. There's one person out there, Michael Malice, who refers to it as schools as literal prisons. Uh, one of the only places where students will uh, ever uh, see violence on the level that they'll experience it at, at certain schools. Um, and so, you know, as far as when we start talking about education and the goals of education, this is one of the things I try to challenge a lot of, I, I call them the statists, the, the people that are pro-public ed, uh, you know, uh, cheerleaders is to say, tell me what education is. Can you even define to me what it looks like when a child is being educated? Uh, is it simply that they're completing tasks? Is it that they're following directions? Uh, are they, you know, uh, just following along with what the teacher wants and, you know, staying in order? Or is it somebody who is questioning the things that they're coming across? Is it somebody who is given the ability to be able to explore their own interests, which of course, neither one of those things is offered in schooling. Uh, you know, I got into a big conversation with uh, a public education teacher not too long ago about the role of grades. And, you know, what does it mean when a student has received a, a grade on a paper, a project, uh, or even in a class, you know, what, what does it mean, for example, that somebody got an A and somebody got a C? Does that mean that the person that got a C is is not as smart or as bright as the person that got an A? Or did they just not follow directions the way uh, that the person that got the A did? It, it literally tells us nothing about the level of education that these children are getting. So right off the bat, we see the flaw in this thinking of the fact that public schools are there to provide education uh, to children. They're, they're really not. And that was made very clear from the from the beginning. You know, it's interesting when you mentioned grades, when I had my my boys in a public uh, private school, when I lived in California for a little while, I remember, you know, here we are in first grade, and he's having to memorize words and not really enjoying it, and getting maybe 50% on his spelling test. When he got his report card, he had the functional equivalent on spelling of a B. I said, well, how is that even remotely possible? I don't care if he's memorizing these words at the time, but the grades certainly didn't reflect the performance on the tests. And what we're seeing now, particularly since um, we're having grading tied into funding and the test results, we really still don't know how the children are actually performing. But the bottom line, the bottom line is, are they even really learning or are they being indoctrinated? And here the thing is too, 
with Harvard Law School, we see these schools I've referred to on my shows many times before, the trifecta of evil that is keeping us indoctrinated and, and ignorant. And I refer to those as the government, the education system and the media. And what we see is the latter two are uh, are governed by the former, meaning the government, by uh, grants, by regulation and that sort of thing and by funding. So, you know, of course, we're going to have these educational institutions going to be swinging the party line in favor of big government. And as you mentioned in your book, the, re the origins of the public education system came from Prussia when it was designed to keep kids malleable and make future factory workers compliant, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that I've said about this article is, and, and again, why I think it's so important for, you know, listen, I, I, I got to be honest, if we as parents are going to stand up to this kind of thing, we need to be knowledgeable. And one of the things that I've said in the book is, unfortunately, a lot of parents have turned the keys of the car over to the state, uh, to the schools. We see that in the way that uh, this COVID-19 crisis hit. Uh, initially, it was viewed as, well, uh, there goes my daycare and not like, oh, wait, wait, wait a second, how are my children going to continue to be able to learn? Because everybody knows that that's not happening here. Um, and, and really, that was the major uh, focus and a lot of the messaging that I saw coming from parents here is, you know, what are we going to do, uh, you know, when the children aren't in school for the seven hours that we've got the, the babysitting, the daycare. So we need to be more uh, aware of what is going on in these schools and be more active and not just talk about it. So we got to learn and understand what the role is here. Our current um, education system was founded, uh, as you said, off the Prussian model. And one of the men in particular that had a huge influence on that was a guy named Johab Gottlieb Fichte, uh, who was uh, essentially like the, the head of education for Prussia. And one of the things that Fichte believed in was the idea of the blank slate, right? That children are a blank slate and that it was therefore the role of the state to be able to fill that slate with information. And I see a lot of your uh, listeners here, you know, chiming in with that word indoctrination. And that's essentially what it is. You know, when you get to decide what is taught, when it's taught, how it's taught, uh, all the way down to informing behaviors and things of that nature, um, it, it was all geared around the fact that the Prussians said, why did we just get uh, our tails whipped by Napoleon? Well, our generals and our soldiers were thinking for themselves. They, they were, they were, you know, they were kind of acting how they wanted to act and they weren't toting the line and being good little soldiers for the state. And so therefore we need that. And we see that, uh, you know, both with our government and then I, as I make an argument too in the book as well, uh, corporatism plays a big role in this as well. When you look at the role that like uh, Rockefeller and Carnegie both played in the stamp that they left on education as well, you know, they were also working to help uh, schools be a model for what it would be like to be a good employee in the factory, right? And so there's a lot of things that we see uh, as parallels between factory life in the uh, late 1800s and early 1900s into how schools are modeled even still to this day, uh, you know, with rules and regulations and bell systems and, you know, things of that nature. So, yeah, I mean, that's absolutely uh, the, the, the model and shape of the way that schools operate. And if you want to apply that to modern times and look at Common Core and who are the big players behind Common Core, we have Bill Gates and we have Apple Computer making profits off of getting these uh, bits of equipment into the school system as well. And doesn't it make it convenient to get these people compliant now to sit in cubicles, whereas the homeschooled children are more used to being able to move freely. They're not, they're not uh, hampered down by the, the bell system, as you mentioned as well. Let's turn to also her accusation. Well, first she says that, that it makes these children more, uh, I guess, 
what they're looking for in a democratic society. Who is she to determine what their contribution is going to be, whether or not it's ideal or what? She says, uh, you know, the public or homeschooling can prevent them from contributing positively. Well, who is she to determine what is contributing positively? She also makes the accusation here or the implication that homeschoolers can be more sub, uh, subject to abuse. Now, I'll share a little, a few stories. When I was in the public school system, I saw multiple instances of physical abuse. We know there are many instances, children in the public school systems are just as vulnerable to sexual abuse. We see instances of that all the time. Firsthand, I witnessed many incidents. I had a teacher who, there was a boy in my second grade class and she would take him and take Physoderm and a Q-tip and ram that down his throat and wash his mouth out with soap and water for cursing. I would not tolerate that happening to my child. I had a teacher in sixth grade who physically threw students against the floor if they were disruptive. I saw it at, at a field trip. We were there. He just swooped his hand and, and five kids went crashing to the ground and, uh, you know, temper tantrums in the classrooms. Everybody was terrified of him. Tell me that's a better environment for children to be in than being in a home environment. Is there abuse? Absolutely. There can be abuse in any in any institution, any learning setting, you know, it's one of the, using the abuse also, um, that abuse excuse seems to be also what we talk about out here in, in Utah, polygamous marriages. Oh, well, that's bad because children are abused, but we don't always know that. There can be an abusive situation in any setting. So also, what else? There was something else I wanted to talk about in here. Um, so we talked about the child abuse, what they're talking about with who's going to be productive. And here's what I, I really take exception to. Words have meaning. You know, when we're in law school, we're told as we analyze these fact patterns to answer the bar exam, every single word has meaning. And this this article was written by a lawyer, and I have no doubt in my mind that she used this word for a very nefarious reason. What she's saying here is we have an essentially unregulated regime in the area of homeschooling. All 50 states have laws that make education compulsory. And she says the state constitutions ensure a right to education. But if you look at the legal regime governing homeschooling, there are very few requirements that parents do anything. First of all, the regime has some very negative connotations in it. Um, and I also would like to wager a bet that I seriously doubt, does anybody really believe that this woman read the constitutions of all 50 states? We'll be right back after this message about Anchor FM. Now, back to the podcast. Yeah, no, probably not. <laughs> and I and I, and I want to circle back real quickly too to the abuse thing because this is something that I, I make a a very uh, significant point about in my book. Uh, and I actually have some statistics that I pulled from the book because I, I I go through great lengths to document what I have seen and what I've researched in terms of abuse uh, and and horrific situations in schools. Um, according to the Children's Center for Psycho Psychiatry, Psychology, and Related Services, an estimated 3.5 million students grade, just grades 8 through 11, are victims of some sort of sexual misconduct uh, from an adult at a school. Uh, according to the American Psychology Association, nearly 5 million students have suffered some sort of sexual or physical abuse at school, not to mention the fact that stopbullying.gov, which is a government-run, um, obviously, initiative, report 
reports that nearly 71% of students have reported uh, seeing bullying at their school. I mean, look, we, we don't really need to go through all this. We know these numbers exist out there. So it's just co completely and utterly uh, irreprehensible to say that, you know, keeping children at home uh, is somehow going to place every child in harm's way or even a significant chunk of children in harm's way that they wouldn't otherwise normally experience in their schools. Uh, I don't don't know what you know uh, narrative or background what what the point behind that was but that's something that I wanted to address and then the other thing that I wanted to point out too here is you know preparing them for uh, being a, a model citizen in this democracy I, I made a, a point of this on my in a Facebook post the other day I see this narrative so often that uh, public education is a foundation of our democracy and that's just patently false it's it's not there's no historical evidence for that. Uh, the, the common school movement, the way that it exists today, started in about 1837 with Horace Mann when he became the, uh, the, the school board uh, chief in Massachusetts. Um, you know, and, and, and so this idea that this was around from the beginning is complete hogwash. It wasn't. At the very beginning of our country, there was homeschooling. And yes, there were community schools, but guess who got to decide what got taught, how it got taught, and when it got taught? The parents did. OK, the parents were the ones that were in control that if they decided in a city or a community uh, township, whatever the governmental body was, that they wanted to pull and hire a teacher. They got to hire the teacher, too, by the way. It wasn't like, you know, I had an email exchange with my, one of my son's principals the other day telling me that I'm, my son may not be able to take a class that he wants because the numbers are skewed for the class schedules next year and they may not be able to fit him in. You know, and, and so it's like. The parents had more control over that at the very beginning, and they got to decide what was um, what was taught. So this idea that uh, public schools are such a foundational bedrock part of democracy is just a fiction of their imagination, uh, which then, of course, obviously leads to to the last point here uh, that when we look at. Uh, the idea that people aren't prepared uh, by going through a homeschool curriculum, it's just false. Uh, there's all kinds of studies out there that people can look into to show how much further academically and socially, because that's one of the things that these people say is, well, how are they going to socialize? How are they going to be able to yeah. work with their peers? You know, it's like they're so far ahead because they get to operate in the real world. Homeschoolers get to go out into the real world and interact with real businesses, real communities, real parks and recreations, real examples where they get to make a difference and see what they're doing in action as opposed to some hypothetical that's proposed in the classroom. Jeff, did you want to say something about that? Because I know that you talked about the 10 pillars or the 10 planks of communism, and here we are talking about children participating in the democratic process. The 10th pillar is government-controlled education. And so when you go through the 10 pillars or planks, whichever, you know, ever how you see it presented, you will find that we pretty much have 100%, uh, we're probably not at 100%, we've, all 10 of them we've got, some just to lesser extents than others. Uh, but the 10th one, we're all in. Uh, the government has total control. And as we said in the past, I don't know how many times, uh, this is our area where we can do personal secession. You know, families need to pull their children from the government schools because the government has an agenda. It's not about education. It's about creating good drones that will go to the factories and work and produce uh, not products, but tax income. So uh, we're in agreement on that, I believe, well, it, that you it's know, all about uh, oh, tax drones. 
Well, absolutely. And one of the things that this woman cannot stand is the fact that people can make their own decisions. There's an echo in there. Somebody needs to turn down their phone or whatever they're listening to. Um, I don't know where it's coming from. The, okay. Well, the issue also is that this woman cannot stand that there is even maybe mute your mic, Jeff, while we're doing this, because before you were talking, we didn't have uh, that. So um, what she's saying here, even apparent requirements such as submitting curricula or providing evidence that teaching and learning are taking place, she says, aren't necessarily enforced. Only about a dozen states have the rules about the level of education needed by parents who homeschool. Now, this is what's really interesting to me. It was uh, when I was living in California, there was a um, a lower court decision where I, a, a family, it was an unfortunate example of a family homeschooling because that was one of the examples of where there was some abuse and the parents weren't doing their jobs. But what the judge had said in this lower case was the parents must have a minimum of a teacher's credential to homeschool their children. That was uh, that created quite an outrage in California because there are a lot of uh, parents who homeschool their children of both sides of, of the you know liberal and conservative. In fact, when I was there, it was mostly progressives that were homeschooling when I met them. But the problem is this woman cannot stand the fact that the homeschooling parents are not regulated enough. I think what they want to do eventually, much like gun control, is regulate something so much that it becomes too burdensome to even participate. For instance, in California, again, because this is based on my experience, you could homeschool provided you fill out an R4 affidavit. Well, I finally, a couple of years after I'd been homeschooling, decided, well, let's just take a look and see what this is about. And I could not believe the requirements. They were nonsensical. You had to have a separate phone with an answering machine. An outside person managing your, your uh, school records. I had two kids. I can't manage that ourselves certain curriculum, they couldn't examine your curriculum that you were teaching, what you were teaching, how or why, so long as you had jumped through all these other hurdles. I obviously never registered, but I started in the K-12 program, like what you're doing, Justin, and I just even found out that we wanted more of an unschooling um, approach and, and we kind of went our own way. But when we left, um, we called it CAVA, California Virtual Academy, I got an email from the instructor. Okay, I've submitted your children's names to the school district. I said, what? You know, so once I was out from her control, she passed our names along to the local school district who never, who never reached out to us or did anything, but I just found it was just a huge invasion of my, prize, my privacy. But going back to this article, what she's saying is that the lack of regulation means effectively that people can homeschool who've never gone to school themselves who don't read or write themselves. In another handful of states, parents are not required to register their children as homeschoolers. They can simply keep their kids at home. Wow, imagine that. So here's my, here's my comment on what that claim she made. If somebody is functionally illiterate, do you really think they have the means to keep their children at home? I submit to you, these people are going to be working one if not more jobs, both parents, so they can feed these children. This is an allegation that this is pure ad hominem. It makes no sense whatsoever. Your thoughts on that, Justin? Yeah, and, and really I think what this all kind of boils down to uh, at the end is a fight over um, who gets to make the decisions here. And I know that might sound like a, a very like duh statement, uh, but, but that's really what the heart of this uh, article is really all about. And when you look at the policies that are coming out of these universities like Stanford and Harvard and, and 
so, so on and so forth, the people that are uh, pushing these policies. Uh, basically, what they're saying is that the collective knows better than the individual. And of course, obviously, as a libertarian, uh, my uh, tenet and philosophy is that only the individual can act. And it, it really um, shouldn't matter to you or me uh, what person C is doing. Um, if it has an impact where it violates one of my rights, uh, then then I have a, co a, a course, you know, uh, a recourse to action against that. Uh, a lot of these people have this pie in the sky attitude that um, somehow there's this mythical, magical formula concoction of laws and people and regulations and everything that, that's just going to make uh, our society grandiose and, and perfect. And it's just not going to happen. So, so the reality is, is that, okay, we know that there's always going to be abuse. There's always going to be neglect. There's always going to be parents on drugs and alcohol and jobless and you know, all of these very, very awful, horrible things. Nobody's arguing that homeschool is the silver bullet to, to solve that. Uh, much like I would hope nobody would be making the claim that public schools could solve those things. Um, because as we mentioned, not only will those things still continue to uh, occur, but they may even happen at the school. And one of the little things that she said in there that really um, stuck with me was she made some comment in there about uh, mandated reporting. Now, at least in, in my state, every single citizen is a mandated reporter. So if you're standing in line at Walmart and you see somebody, you know, abuse a child or you hear a child talking about, well, daddy threw the glass against the wall last night and scared me, you have a legal obligation to report that. So this whole notion that, well, schools, you know, mandated reporting and all of a sudden that's going to solve everything. Again, that's pine of sky. And what we're seeing there is their true colors. They think that the the, the state, the, the tentacles of the state reaching into the home and whether it be through schooling or through child's protective services or whatever other agencies and regulations they want to use, they feel like they can solve all of these ills and they can't do it. And the worst part of it is, is that we end up giving up our freedom and liberty along the way and well-intentioned, uh, you know, good law-abiding citizens are the ones that have to pick up all the pieces when that kind of thing happens. Yeah. And you know, what we're also seeing is the school taking, um, making the decisions when you can take your kids on a vacation. I mean, I have a good friend who, you know, they would go hunting and take their daughter hunting. There's a lot to learn from that. Well, they had to seek the school's permission and the school said, no, sorry, she can't go on this hunting trip because we don't see this as an acceptable substitute for learning inside the classroom. So what they're doing is substituting your judgment as a parent for compulsory uh, education sitting in a classroom. But what we know it comes down to really is the funding they get and the more that are in the classroom at the time, uh, the better. And here's really where, this is something I just find very troublesome. The What this woman views as the absence of regulations ensuring that these children receive a meaningful education equivalent to that required in the public schools is a threat to the United States democracy. From the beginning of a compulsory education in this country, we have thought of the government, check this out, as having some right to educate children so that they did become active, productive participants in the larger society. So once again, we see the substitution of the individual for the collective. And you know, Thomas Jefferson thought that public, public education was a good idea. That's why he invested his own resources in funding the University of Virginia. But he never said education had to be compulsory. He did think that an education uh, and an educated uh, populace would be ultimately benefit 
those that would be uh, living within society, but never once did he uh, say that it had to be mandatory. We'll be right back after this about Roxanne. Music for this program has been brought to you by Roxanne, courtesy of Rat Pack Records. Radio Silence is the album and is available on Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, RatPackRecordsAmerica.com, and RoxanneBand.com. Now, back to the podcast. Yeah, that's right. And again, I think when you're stacking the comparison up between what a homeschool education has to offer versus what we've seen in our public school system now for uh, coming up close to 200 years now, I, I mean, you can see story after story after story of people who have gone on uh, to be extremely successful where the public school system has let them down. And I, I'll just kind of say this as well, too. And I'm very clear with people when I have this discussion, I'm not calling for the abolition of uh, uh, abolishment, uh, I should say, of schools, of public schools. If a parent decides that the local public school where they live in their zip code is what works best for them, so be it. That's fine. You can continue to do that if that works well for you and your family. But stop telling me that I have to do that as well. And stop trying to make it incredibly difficult for me to be able to find alternatives when that public school system isn't working. Because I just recently over the weekend finished watching the documentary Waiting for Superman. Uh, which is uh, about 10 years old now. It was a Davis Guggenheim project. Uh, if you haven't seen it, if any of the watchers, listeners haven't seen it, highly encourage you can go out and find it uh, on Amazon. Uh, that's where I watched it. Um, it. It is a phenomenal story that that tells uh, the background stories of people that are growing up in areas like LA, Washington, Baltimore, I mean, New York City. These public schools are, not, I mean, they're they're not just bad, they're third world in terms of what they are doing for and with our children, in terms of the violence, the uh, lack of respect, the the lack of learning, um, it's it's awful. And so, um, you know, to, to make this claim again that this is here, um, you know, that public schools are the the savior, it just doesn't hold up with me. Well, the other thing I found truly disturbing on this was the fact that government has rights. The government, any government, has no rights. They have powers. They have powers that are delegated to them specifically. They can't just make them up. But unfortunately, we see that they are. But once again, we have a lawyer. And I would want to, I'd like to refer people again to my uh, website to go to SuzanneCSherman.com and look up under uh, Suzanne's articles, The Problem with Lawyers and the Constitution as well. But she says it's important for children to grow up exposed to community values, social values, democratic values, ideas about non-discrimination and tolerance of other people's viewpoints. But here she is completely intolerant of the fact that parents should have the obligation and the, and the, and the right to uh, educate their children as they see fit to expose them to the values they want them exposed to. I've seen some of the reading lists that uh, are sent home for kids over the summer and some of the books have been, uh, I, could, I could say where if they were movies, they would be uh, pornographic. As she says, the United States state legislatures have been hesitant to restrict the practice because of the uh, H, it's HDLSDA, uh, homeschooling, uh, L, yeah, LDA, 
uh, Homeschooling Legal Defense Association. And she says, you know, she does here go on the attack against Christianity. So, so much for tolerance on her part. And uh, tends to imply that the Christians or the homeschoolers are right wing Christian extremists. And so what we're seeing here is a lack of tolerance from somebody who proclaims that having children in a um, in a public school environment is going to promote tolerance. But once again, we're not seeing any of that on on uh, on the part of her. So what she says also is during the last 30 years, activists have worked to dismantle many states' homeschooling restrictions and have opposed new regulatory efforts. Uh, quoting her, she says, there's really no organized political opposition, so they basically get their way. Oh yes, there is opposition, it's called the government. You know, we saw, we saw, um, what was it, um, Eric Holder say during the Obama administration, there's no fundamental right to homeschool your children. Well, when we see the government des deciding uh, for themselves what's a fundamental right, if something is not a fundamental right, they're going to say, well, we can take charge of it. And that's what's particularly concerning to me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as you were uh, mentioning that too, one thing that um, stood out to me that I, I remember kind of reading through, and I, I didn't get too deep into it, but I remember it being brought up when I went through uh, grad school. And then I looked at it briefly when writing for the book as well was the court case, Wisconsin versus Yoder, uh, which was, of course, uh, the uh, old order Amish uh, fighting back against the compulsory schools in the state of Wisconsin. And one of the things that they, uh, big claims that they made in that case was the fact that public schools disintegrated the fabric of their culture. And um, when you look at, you know, their tenets and beliefs and things of that nature, um, you know, a lot of people obviously, you know, uh, don't agree or understand or know or appreciate whatever word you want to use, uh, what the Amish do, uh, but they have every right to be able to do that. You know, they have every right to be able to live their lives that way. And I think they based it off uh, the, the idea that, um, you know, there was different things that were being taught in school that, again, ran contrary to their beliefs. And that's the fundamental thing that we're fighting for here is the, the rights and, and ability and freedom for people to say, this isn't working well for us. Uh, we need an alternative. And, you know, I, who are you, right, as a uh, legal uh, scholar at a university to tell me uh, you have no idea the situation that I'm in as a parent, what's best for my child? You know, and, and that's the thing that um, I think is, is really, again, at the fabric of what's being fought for here is who is going to have this control? Are we going to to allow this collective uh, mindset to run rampant and, uh, you know, work into every phase of our, our lives? Or are we going to protect the nuclear family and allow them, you know, the real freedom and liberty uh, to be able to make these decisions? Well, and once again, you know, we have just another example of the academics looking down and deciding what's best for the unwashed masses. You know, going back to the article, she says that in some situations, homeschooling may be justified and effective. And now quoting her, she says, no doubt there are some parents who are motivated and capable of giving an education, but that's of a higher quality and as broad a scope as what's happening in the public school. But she says, she believes that if parents want permission to opt out of schools, the burden of proving that their case is justified should fall on the parents. So here we have the burden shifted on the parents to justify to the state their 
decision within their God-given rights as parents and human beings to educate children in a manner they see fit. This is absolutely unacceptable. Yeah, and moreover, somebody tell me where my confidence should be in the random roster. I have no idea who these people are. Listen, I've taught with people who are on Prozac. I've taught with people who are in the middle of mental breakdowns, who are in the middle of divorces, who just lost a child, who are mentally unstable. So how can you sit there and tell me that I'm not qualified to teach my son or daughter when I've got some random group of people that I've never met before in my life. I don't know them from Adam. I have no idea. Now, you've told me that they've taken a background check, but we have one in our school district right now that's facing child seduction charges. You know, so don't sit there and tell me and I'm supposed to have 100 percent confidence in this school system as being, you know, the the all powerful, all magnificent, uh, capable of being able to educate my child. You know, you might sit there and say, well, you know, they're certified to be able to do it. You know, they pass these courses. It doesn't mean anything to me. I've seen the rubber rooms in New York City. I've seen teachers that mail it in every single day and do absolutely nothing but crosswords and read the newspaper. And I see I've had a football coach that teaches history before. So I know all about what bad teaching looks like. And it is a real issue in a lot of our schools throughout this country. And this lady does absolutely nothing to address that, of course, in her piece. There is a piece that uh, Rings make, Alba Pearson from medium.com. And I'll put this in the in the links in our show notes here. But she says here, Harvard Law School calls for ban on homeschooling and homeschooled Harvard graduates. She is a graduate from Harvard. And she says why this is wrong. And uh, again, she felt as a homeschooler, she was more motivated to, to excel in Harvard. And I'll have to say all through high school, I was able to skate. I did not have to really try very hard. So when I finally made it into UCLA, guess what? I did the same thing. I didn't have that desire to excel because I didn't really have to push myself. Once I was motivated and decided to study law on my own accord and it was no longer compulsory, I was motivated. But what she sees here is uh, she sees disdain here that this anti-homeschooling narrative that's coming out of Harvard is completely contradictory to Harvard's crusade of diversity, inclusion, and acceptance. And she hits the nail right on the head here. And just as we wrap up the show, I want to share what they say in the article as well. The restricting and banning of individual rights, especially on the basis of religious or political beliefs or other ideas protected under freedom of speech is not democratization. It stems from a fundamental desire for a world without a certain group of people meaning like us. And that desire makes the survival of creative, peaceful, pluralistic community impossible. So this is the thing. They, do they really desire a world without homeschoolers? That is the that is not a very uh, inclusive message that Harvard has has put forth there. As we wrap up the show, I want to thank everybody who uh, turned in uh, turned up for the, our Facebook Live presentation. Those of you listening, uh, you can also go and see the. Um, we have a video production of this as well, and you can read the comments. We highlighted them on the screen, but we got pretty into the conversation here. So I didn't take a lot of time to read them aloud, but it doesn't mean that I did not consider them important. Before we wrap up the show, again, this has been the Wasatch Report. Justin Spears, how can people follow you and get your book, Failure, The History and Results of America's School System? Go ahead. Yeah, you can find the book on Amazon um, if you just search for that title. Uh, probably the easier way to find it is just go to my website, edfailure.com, um, and it is right there. There's a link to the paperback and the uh, the ebook version of that, uh, the e-reader, so you can grab it from there and uh, follow along with everything that we're uh, putting together over there. 
All right, everybody, I want to thank you for joining us today. Jeff Johnson, thank you for all you do for me as well. And uh, for those of you turning in, uh, we will be back next week. I'm Suzanne Sherman. This has been the Wasatch Report. Thank you for listening.